I truly believe, and this is what I've been preaching, coaching, and working in my workshops. This is one of the things that I always talk about. The good shall rise. The good shall have sustainability. You don't have to be the biggest out there. You don't have to be the companies that you just talked about, the Facebooks and the Twitters. If you are a company that is doing it right, ethically, you're doing it right with the right mission, with the right purpose, and you don't think about, I need to be the one that takes over the world. Trust me, you can make the waves that you need to make. Hey, I wanted to take a quick time out to tell you about a little project I've been working on. I've been working on a sci-fi novel focused on the future of humanity and what happens when we get deeper and deeper into genetic engineering and cybernetic enhancements. It's something that I've been working on. It's a bit of a passion project and I haven't wanted to tell you guys about it yet because it's one of those things where you never really know if you're going to publish it. Well, now I'm getting so far along in the novel and really starting to love the direction that it's going. I wanted to get some feedback from some of you guys. So if you're interested in checking out the beta version, so to speak, of the novel, you can get the first five chapters for free if you go to disruptors.fm slash book. Just add your email address. I need your hard, honest feedback on the book and how you like it, if you like it, and what, if anything, I could do to improve it. That's the only way that authors and writers and thinkers like myself can try to improve what we're working on and make it more interesting and exciting for the public. So if you guys are interested in this, check out the book. You can go to disruptors.fm slash book. Enter your email address. You'll get the first five chapters emailed to you. It's much further along than that, but I want to just send you the first five chapters so that you don't get overwhelmed and you can provide me a little bit of feedback. And if you like the book, you'll be on the first access list for when it goes live. There may be some bonus beta coupons as well that get handed out for people that help with making the book uh, a better, more awesome experience. So if that's something that you're interested in looking into, the future of humanity and what happens when genetic engineering goes vastly awry, then disruptors.fm slash book. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate your help on this. This is something that I'm pretty passionate about. It's pretty personal and not sure how it's going to turn out yet. Disruptors.fm slash book. And now back to our episode. You probably know I'm big on biohacking and trying to make myself the best I can be. That's why I'm excited about what the guys at Neurohacker Collective and Daniel Schmachtenberger, who was previously on the podcast, are doing. They're some of the smartest biohackers on the planet, and their Qualia line of brain-enhancing nootropics make it obvious why. You guys can get 15% off any order, or with a subscription, 50% off and 15% off every future order by going to disruptors.fm slash qualia, that's Q-U-A-L-I-A, and using coupon code DISRUPTORS at Disruptors. We're big on health and biotech. For a reason, it amplifies everything. Disruptors.fm slash qualia. Use coupon code disruptors. And now, let's get on with the program. Welcome to The Disruptors, the podcast about the future of all of us, where we look at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Hear the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at disruptors.fm. Every dream requires a team. And if your dream doesn't require a team, you're probably not thinking big enough. Quote, author unknown. Today, we're diving deep into the science and success of leaders in both business and personal pursuits. We've got Lolly Daskal on the program. She's one of the most sought after executive leadership coaches in the world. Of her many awards and accolades, she was designated a top 50 leadership and management expert by Inc.com and listed as the Huffington Post's most inspiring woman in the world. Her writings appeared in the Harvard Business Review, Inc., Fast Company, Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and many more. And she's the author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Leadership Gap, What Gets Between You and Your Greatness, and previous bestseller, Thoughts Spoken from the Heart. Today's episode is really fun and interesting, and we're going to dive into the true science of what makes some leaders great and achieve exponentially more results. Today, we'll discuss the dichotomy between productivity and creativity and how to game it, why self-development and actualization are actually the keys to productivity and happiness, how and why Lolly reads a book a day, seriously, without skimming, why education's broken and how to fix it, the reason why Lolly thinks automation won't negatively impact jobs, and why we're both scared about the state of politics, politicians, and social media. You guys will really enjoy this episode. It's not our conventional episode. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit outside the beaten path. But outside the beaten path is often where we need to go if we want to achieve incredibly awesome results in this world. That's why we have the one, the only, Lolly Dasko. And before we jump into the program, guys, as you know, these episodes are supported by us, the team over here at The Disruptors. If you want to help us and support us and what we do, then please consider making a donation. You can support us at disruptors.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T. 
R-E-O-N. If you do, you'll unlock bonus content and you'll also be helping us to try our best to change the world, not have to try to sell you some stupid mattress and be able to dedicate the time and energy needed to put out this podcast. If you enjoy what we do and would like to support us, disruptors.fm slash Patreon. And before we get started, I just wanted to tell you guys about an exciting offer that we're going to be having for you listeners. If you go to disruptors.fm slash clash, you can register to win a free autographed copy of Garrett Leonard's book, Technology versus Humanity, The Coming Clash Between Man and Machine. It was great having Garrett on the podcast, and we decided to partner with him to offer this book for you guys completely free. So if you want to go and register, you can do that via Twitter, via subscribing, adding your email, whatever you want to do at disruptors.fm slash clash, you can get multiple entries into the raffle to win a free signed copy of Gerd's book, Technology versus Humanity. Again, that's disruptors.fm slash clash for more details and to register. And of course, there's no purchase necessary. The giveaway will be running February 8th to February 15th, ending at 8 p.m. PST. So make sure you go to disruptors.fm slash clash as soon as you hear this so that you can go and register. And if that giveaway is done, don't worry. We're trying to get a lot of these happening so that we can consistently have incredibly great books going out to our listeners for free. So if we have another one going on and it's after the date when GERD's giveaway is ended, then go to disruptors.fm slash giveaway. All one word, giveaway, and whatever the most recent giveaway is that we're doing. If it's live, you can register there and hopefully win yourself an awesome free book. And now let's get on with the episode. Without further ado, I give you Lolly Dasko. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. So you've been called a lot of things. You've been called the most influential woman in the world. And we'll get into a lot of all that stuff. But I'm looking at your background. You've got a bajillion books. And you told me before we started, you read a book a day. So I'm curious, what's the deal? The deal is, um, I don't have a deal. The only thing is, as I said earlier, I love to read. And in my business, I work with very smart individuals. And I always feel that if I learn something new every single day, I will have something new to share with my clients. And so that's one of the reasons why I read. And number two is because I'm extremely curious. I'm the person that always asks why, why does it work this way? Why, why are you saying what you're saying? And so I find my answers in books. And that's why, um, that's how it started the reading obsession. And it has continued for the past 37 years. What are the two or three most influential for you to date? The first book that I read every single year on my birthday, and I have been doing it since I started this ritual, is The Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a book that I reread all the time. And when I was in my 20s, it answered a different question. Now that I'm a little bit older, it answers different questions for me. The question in the book always says, not why was I created, but what what contribution can I make to the world? That question of why, that question of who I need to be is a great question to ask yourself on your birthday. So it's a book that I reread. And it also talks about that if you've suffered or if you've had failures, find meaning in what your life is about. So Man's Search for Meaning is a great book. And the I have so many favorites. Um, people always ask me for my favorites, but anything written by Joseph Campbell, you know, The Heroes of a Thousand Faces, anything by Carl Gustav Jung, which is most of my work is based on, is really something that I really, really like and recommend. So a book a day, you've got to be skimming a bit. What's what's the strategy? We'll, we'll go a little bit further into some of the other stuff later. But how exactly are you doing this? Are you looking for the, I've heard the second chapter is the best chapter to read. What's the, what's the technique? I have no gimmick. This I have no. This is my technique. I wake up very early. Most people they go to the gym and exercise their body. I'm exercising my mind. I wake up at four o'clock every single morning, and between the hours of four and seven, I read. And there's no gimmick. I don't skimp. I don't. I highlight a lot. I have a notebook where I write my favorite sayings, and I do reread my books. I'll revisit a book in ten years from now. I just started The Republic this morning. It's Plato. It's difficult. It's intense. So I just made it through book number one. There are three books. Tomorrow will be the second book. So I like that you brought up Viktor Frankl's Men's Search for Meaning, because it seems like that book and that question has kind of been what has driven your driven your life, driven your purpose. Absolutely. It's made me who I am today. Who is that? Wally Daskal is a person that is of service to others because I answer the question, what does the world, why was I created? What is my mission? What is my purpose? My purpose is where I get my most energy 
is serving others. When an individual is comes to me for coaching, comes to me for a workshop, sits in the audience to listen to me speak, I want them to feel better than when they came, smarter than when they spoke to me, feeling empowered to do whatever they need to do. Some of my clients have said to me over the years, and I've been in my business for a long time, for over three decades, many of my clients say to me, Lolly, you see things in me before I even see them in myself. And that's a mission of mine, to see something within someone, to see greatness, to see that they can succeed, and then help them be that person. And I wanted to get you on the program because for a lot of people, these are going to be woo-woo type concepts. Yeah, but that doesn't really apply to me. I'm a programmer. I'm a designer. I build businesses, whatever it is. And the thought process for this, the thought process for getting you on, and the thought process for, in general, what you are focused on and what I think a lot of people focus on and focus successfully on is up-leveling. If you're able to up-level yourself, even 1%, what is 1% compounded over the course of an entire lifetime? It's a shit ton of progress. If everyone does that, then the world looks vastly different. And that's how we tie in the exponential the exponential nature of generally what we're talking about. I'm sure you've seen very similar things. The world's most successful people, they all have some type of leadership, coaching, internal type, this is how I optimize myself stuff. What, uh, what techniques have you found to be the best for getting the best out of the best people? And I want to address that, but I want to talk about what you said earlier when you said woo-woo. This is a, this is a little mini story. I met, I was just at a big, big conference. We had over 3,000 people, leaders all over the world. There's Fortune 500 CEOs all sitting in the audience. And there were many, many great speakers. And I was sitting at lunch with some of them. And I said to them, I asked one in particular who was sitting next to me, what, what do you do in your business? What is your mission? What is your purpose? What are you trying to achieve? And he, in two seconds, was a very smart man, was able to tell me exactly what he does. Very smart. And I said, that's great. Now, what is your purpose in your life? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, you can tell me so much about your business, but what about the person that's doing, that's leading that business? And he had no clue. And he said, wow, I never have taken the time to ask myself that question. And so it might sound woo-woo to some, but that's the inner driver. Most of you just mentioned about the books that I read. Most of the books that I read on leadership, on business, on creativity, on innovation, they always want to know the process. It sounds like all the engineers that sit in my workshop, Lolly, give me the process and then I'll be the best at what I do. And I say, before you can create the process, before you can understand the process, you must go to who you are. Because if I give you the answer, like you just asked me, what is the best way? What is the process? If you don't know who you are, no matter what process I give you, you won't be successful. You have to understand your inner driver to know how you can succeed in any process that anybody gives you. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I find it very important. Most of my clients ask me the same question. Do what you did for that client because you've made him and her very successful. Give me their process. Well, you know, it doesn't work that way. That's a shortcut. I take the longer, deeper, deep dive into a person to find out who they are, what drives them, what is their sweet spot, what do they really want to accomplish. From that, we create the process. Does that make sense, Matt? Yeah, no one wants to win the wrong game. Exactly. Very well put. Very brilliant. My, my, my wife's a coach, so I've, I've been through the ringer on this as well. <laughs> So you understand. I understand. And I can honestly say that when you do start thinking differently, it is exponentially different. The way I like to explain it to people, and a big part of the reason we're having this podcast is when you're doing something, you can accomplish a ton. If you think about things slightly differently, though, and think, what would I have to do to accomplish 10 or 100x? doesn't take 10 or 100 extra effort. It takes slightly different thinking and essentially the same amount of effort. But if you get there and you realize you're the Swiss banker who jumps off the building because he hates his life, well, you went through a lot of effort and didn't really get much out of it. I think I think there's a balancing act. And I think the balancing act is probably best done beforehand. Interesting. So this is how I explain it to my my clients. Do, why, doesn't, why doesn't everybody who's listening sit up straight and fold their arms across their chest like you usually do, right? This is how you live your life. If anybody can see me, Matt, if you can see me, you fold your arms across your chest. You're feeling upright. You're feeling comfortable. When you have a coach, when you read a great book, when something comes into your life that you're not so sure about, this is what happens. It's asked to cross your arms the other way, the way that you're not used to crossing your arms. And if you do this motion, anybody that crosses their arm the other way, 
Like cross your arm the way you used to. Now do it the other way. What does it feel like? Extremely uncomfortable. You're out of your element. You're in a discomfort zone. And that's what a coach does. That's what a great book does. And that's what a good process, if it's for you, will do for you. Make you uncomfortable. I like to say that productivity and creativity are a dichotomy. You can really only have one. When you're productive, you're too focused to be creative. And when you're creative, you're too disfocused to be productive. And if you try to merge the two, you get problems. You need to know what your strengths are and then be able to optimize the other one periodically. You need to own both and know which one you need to call upon which and which moment. How do you think about this from a from a leadership perspective, especially as things are changing now? We see culture changing. We see culture and companies changing. We see humanity changing. How do you think about it? Oh, so I see AI have a big impact on every business that I coach in. It will take over business. It will change leadership. And let's just talk about leadership because that's what the question was about. I think the leaders that can go back to the philosophy of what life's really about we be the best leaders in the future, meaning the ones, because you're going to need a lot of ethics and values to make some certain decisions because AI is taking us into a realm we don't even understand. How far will we allow AI to take us? Where will the future be? It will be the foundational leaders. It will be the leaders that can philosophize about what needs to happen that will be the best leaders. Well, let's play devil's advocate a little bit. So then you have the you have the flip side examples. You have Facebook and you have Twitter. Twitter kicks off all of these Russian bots. They lose 10% or whatever of their accounts and the stock market crushes them. Facebook, the same thing. There's not really a way for them to ethically run their business because their business is based off of the ethics of ruining your life and stealing your time and selling you to advertisers. How do you think about it from the perspective of what we have right now? For a lot of businesses that we have in kind of our existing capitalist paradigm, those businesses don't have a place when it comes to ethics and thinking like that. So I guess what I'm saying is there's long-term thinking and there's short-term thinking. And long-term thinking is always better in the long-term, but you have to be able to survive and defeat the short-term thinking for long enough for that to be able to have effect. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more and very well put. And so without calling out companies and without calling out names about who's doing it ethically and who's not doing it unethically, we're not going there. But I will answer your question. I truly believe, and this is what I've been preaching, coaching, and working in my workshops. This is one of the things that I always talk about. The good shall rise. The good shall have sustainability. You don't have to be the biggest out there. You don't have to be the companies that you just talked about, the Facebooks and the Twitters. If you are a company that is doing it right, ethically, you're doing it right with the right mission, with the right purpose, and you don't think about, I need to be the one that takes over the world. Trust me, you can make the waves that you need to make. Um, I heard someone say recently that I thought was profound. He said that we all strive to be the biggest company. Why don't we strive to be the smallest and the most impactful with those that follow us? And so let's, I think it was even Seth Godin that talked about this the other day. He goes, let's go smaller. Let's find our tribe. Let's find those that we speak to and they speak to us. Let's make the impact there. We don't need to the biggest and the best out there. So be creative, be innovative and start small. It will catch on. I think you should start small, but if you really want to have those exponential changes on the world, eventually you have to be able to grow bigger. Otherwise, I start an incredible business that's helping source organic meat to people in my local town. And while it's happening, the large good grows. It becomes it becomes impactful. It becomes worldly. It be- I know that, and I I don't want to mention some of the companies I work for because I can't. But I've seen the companies that I work for did start out small. They're not small anymore. But what's important is, is that they remain with the same values that they first started with. So even though you grow, you must have that foundational element. How do you do that when it gets hard? (laughs) It always gets hard and it only gets harder. And the thing is, is that you have to hold yourself accountable. This is where Seth Godin and I disagree. He said recently from a stage, he said, you know, don't be authentic, but be consistent. And I think you need to be authentic to be consistent. So when you get bigger, stay authentic to what made you who you are and keep the consistency going. Seth said, just be consistent. That's most important. 
I thought it was an interesting concept. I think you could take both. Right? They're what they're in, interchangeable. I don't think we should do one and not the other, but I think that's what you need to do. I would I would be inclined to agree with that, especially as we have more and more information. And yet, from what I gathered with what you said about AI, you're also a little bit worried about AI and the potential direction we can head. I don't know if I'm worried, but I'm curious about what direction we will head. There'll always be those that exploit AI. There will always be those that use it in a way that might not benefit us. There's always that platform to happen. But if we can get a group of people that are ethically found with foundation who understand that we can use it for good, it might take over many of the jobs that we have. But what else will it produce? What else will it generate? If we look, I, I, I'm a big believer in looking back at history. There was a time that with all the revolutions and evolutions that we've had, we always thought, oh, wow, we won't be able to exist. That's not true. It only took us to another realm. So where will AI take us? And let's just do right by where it takes us. I think the looking backward approach makes sense, but inevitably that has to break because of the pace of progress outpacing evolution. Don't you think? Absolutely. This is the fastest we've ever, it was, it was on a, a change, a change, and now it feels like it's going much, much faster than it ever has been. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, conver- it's converging exponential technology. So if you've ever looked at a graph and you see China's GDP and the US's GDP and you see them all growing up, but the, the slope is increasing even larger because you're adding all of these different countries. It's the same thing with technologies, but everyone is exponential. That's why, that's why we call this the disruptors because everything is being disrupted. Everything. Absolutely. From human behavior to the way we do our jobs, how, what we do, what kind of jobs will we have? Everything is being disrupted. Absolutely. How do we deal with that on a societal basis where we, we have more socialist countries in Europe, we have more capitalist countries in North America, and then we have pseudo-capitalism, pseudo-communism in other parts of Asia. How do we deal with that? Is one of those systems best? And where do you think we head? So I'm not going to say which system is the best, but I will say that within each system, there are good and there are bad. For me, the most important thing is that we find what works for us. If you look at our healthcare, by the way, as Americans, it's exponentially, it's out of control year after year after year. Then you go to the Netherlands where I spend enormous amount of time and healthcare is free. And then you wonder, why am I paying so much for healthcare? And look how good everybody's taken care of. I read a book the other day talking about reading a book a day. I read a book, it's called The Year Living Danishly. And it's about this woman that leaves the UK that goes to live a year. You smile. Do you know the book? No, I was laughing because I know someone who wrote The Year of Living Biblically. And it's funny how it's funny how when you get into these marketing paradigms, so to speak, you see the you see the repetitivity of the the headlines. Well that's why isn't that history? We repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat everything. So this year living Danishly, she leaves the UK where she was working, never had a break, was working all the time, was living in a small little flat. Hardly, I don't think she had health care. Her and her husband were just grinding away and grinding away. And then she goes to a new country and everything slows down and everything is taken care of. And the whole pace is so different. And she becomes a different person that her husband that got a job only for one year working at Lego, he goes, honey, would you stay another year? And she goes, absolutely. And so I don't want to say one country is better than another or one system is better than another. But the thing is that we have to find first within ourselves what works for us. We don't, I mean, to follow what's happening to, you have to think about it this way. Everybody's, I think, moving, think about it as as a uh, New York City and everybody's on the subway and we're all cramped in together. Why are we cramped in together? Are we thinking for ourselves or we're following the herd? That's a Nietzsche concept, right? What are we doing as human beings? What do we need to do for ourselves to better our lives? And if each one of us thinks that way, then we will have a society who thinks, what should we do to better our lives? Right now in politics, it's very difficult because there's individuals that think about themselves than society. And I would like for a group of people to think about what's good for society rather than what's good for themselves, only themselves. So let's work together to make a better society and bring down healthcare. God, health, God, healthcare sucks. We could get into that for a long, long time. I think a big part of the problem with 
both of the problems that you addressed, both individual and societally, I would argue less than 5 or 10% of people actually know what they want or actually think about these concepts in any way, shape, or form. Most of them follow what marketing tells them. Most of them follow the, I need to go to college, I need to get a degree, I need to get the house, and then the picket fence, and then the bigger house, and the nicer car. I don't think people think about the bigger picture almost at all. How do we change that? Read Nietzsche and see what happens if we continue to do that. It, the following the herd gets you in trouble. We've seen it in World War II. It happened when one person said that a group of people are a certain amount of people and we have to wipe them off the earth. And so everybody follows it. It's a society that's in a dangerous society. If we don't stop and ask ourselves the question, what do we want? How do we see right and wrong? Instead of following that crowd, we are in trouble. Well, it's a system that creates prosperity until it has a black swan crash. It's like if everyone does index investing, it's going up, up and up. But then when one thing happens, suddenly algorithms on every single individual just essentially go to shit and everything explodes. It's it's a similar concept with most with most systems, I believe. Right. So Nietzsche knew all about this way back when. That's why I think it's very important that every person read philosophy and read history in order to educate themselves about what will happen. What subjects in school should we get rid of? <laughs> That's a loaded question for me because I'm a, I want to learn about everything. Um, I think let's uh, could we change that question? How would you restructure education? I would add something to education. I would add more of meditation, self awareness. I would add more about values and what it means and what it means to self and society. I would concentrate more on that and less on capitalism and all of that and stop changing history when you rewrite those history books. Learn what it's really like to be the person that who you are in which country and what you really did to create the countries that you're in. So it's very important not to change history, but to read history and see what it's really about. But do the inner work. I think it's very important that we don't have that in school and not in America. And I don't know anybody anywhere else. Most places don't do it. It would probably be beneficial for most. I think we could cut out a lot of school because we have a factory to produce factory workers in an era that will have no factories. So there, there's a lot of... But you don't learn that in high school factory workers. But I think that what you what we need to do is we need to get more technology, more coding, more individuals that will support the future of where business is going. I think education needs to be individualized because there's no point for multiple people learning the same things when they should have and will have different completely different career and life uh, trajectories. What would you call that school, Matt? The school of life, a school of hard knocks. I don't know exactly how you would structure it. I think a lot of these more alternative schools do a good job, Montessori and otherwise, in terms of trying to get kids. I mean, the biggest problem, one of the big problems we have right now with the world is, but they're working in jobs they absolutely hate because they're working for a boss they hate, doing something that doesn't really matter, focus on making money and being in their desk and doing this one maniacal little thing over and over that will eventually get automated away. How do we get people in a situation where either through robotics and automation or just through general speaking creativity and growth, that people can focus on the things they want to do and actually create an impact in the world, doing something that they enjoy doing, not something that they have to do. That's where we need to move. That's a great point, Matt, but most people will say, Lolly or Matt, I don't know what that is. And so one of the things that is very important to do, this is a little exercise that I think is very helpful. If let's say you don't know an answer to a question, like Matt said, what what are you most passionate about, right? Instead of doing what a job that you really dislike immensely, I think it's very important to buy yourself an empty notebook, a journal, and to do um, stream of conscious writing, which means is start to ask yourself a question and start to write. Don't use your computer. You need a pen and paper for this. You start to write. And in your mind, you keep asking the question. So, so today, the question is, what are you most passionate about? What would give me the most pleasure? What would I really enjoy doing? Keep asking that question. And no matter what the answer is, no matter what comes to your mind, you have to keep writing. Even if it says, Lolly, stop asking me this stupid question. Write it down, write it down, write it down. I would add, I would add why on top of that once you have an answer. Okay, but keep writing, keep writing, keep writing until you feel yourself, your whole body calming down and you know this feeling of a flow. It, when things are in sync, when your breath has slowed down, your mind feels a little clear, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing. And when you feel almost exhausted, close the journal and put it away. In a couple of days, open up the journal and see the last things that you've written once you've gotten into the flow. And most likely, the direction that you're looking for in your life is in that writing. So think about that in a different form for any kind of hard question that you just don't have the answer for. 
take to this journal and do the stream of conscious writing. It's it's really, really powerful. Do you ever think it could be dangerous? We have world leaders, uh, politicians, technologists that are creating the technology that will improve and change the future. What if suddenly they want to go off and write a book or do nothing or get high and smoke drugs? How do you think about purpose and the potential for good and for for not so good? Okay, so this is a book I'm reading next. And this talks about how it's called evolving ourselves and redesigning the future of humanity one gene at a time. Now, one thing about this author, and I'm holding it up because it's a very important book. I'm reading it because I heard him speak the other day. And one of the things is you could take this information and destroy society, or you can take this information and make society better. And the question is, what what should we do? What could we do? And what will we do? And I think it takes very important leaders to set us right. Do you think we have those leaders? I would argue that at least in a lot of countries, we don't. You're talking about the leaders in power right now. I'm talking about the leaders that haven't claimed their leadership yet. I believe that we have the right people. We need them to step up. And it starts with you. Matt, it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with reading in books that tell us what we're capable of and making the right choice. How do you make the right choice when you're not quite sure what the right choice is? If it's about greed, money, self-interest, there's something to rethink about. How do you think about just Maslow's hierarchy? So I know for myself personally, it was, let's start a business and figure out how to sell stuff and make some money so I can focus on stuff that actually matters. Right. And so that's a very interesting point about Maslow because we have to have right the, the increments of what we need in order to succeed. But the thing is about most of us who are out there making loads and loads of money, are, are the people that are making all that money, are they really happy? Do they, do they wake up in the morning and they say, wow, this is, a, this is the purpose of my life. I know lots and lots of CEOs that are out there being very, very successful. But at the end of the day, they, they feel like they're missing something. And what they're missing usually is that meaning, is that purpose. And that's why one of the things I won't work with a client unless they give back. One of the things that is part of my proposal is how will you pay it forward? There has to be a pay it forward once you've gotten to your exponential level of where you want to get to. Let's say if you have a certain target in mind and you've reached it. The question is, I always ask my clients, how will you give back? I'm teaching my clients that just because you've made it, now you have to pay it forward. And so if no, if somebody's out there just grinding away and making lots of money and they think they're doing it, the question to ask themselves is, how can I pay it forward and who can I serve beside myself? And why are you doing it? What would be the most important lessons you've learned working with some of the top leaders globally? First of all, I, I know you keep saying the word why, but I'm not a big person of why. Why not? I'm really against the why, by the way. I'm more of the person of who. Because if you don't have the who in place, and that's what my book, The Leadership Gap, is really about. If you don't have the who in place, it doesn't matter about your why. You won't succeed. Why am I doing this? Because I want to make an impact. That's great. But if you don't have the who in place, because you know what exists within the who? The imposter syndrome that will keep you from your why. All these archetypes that I talk about in my book will keep you from that why. So please work on the who before you can actually answer the why. And the second question the, to answer your question is, what have I learned from the top leaders that I work with? Is that Was that the question? Yeah. So one of the things that I found shocking early on was, is that I always thought that if you made it to a certain level, this is when I first started my business, when you make it to a certain level, when you have a certain position, that they're not as fearful as those that are in a lower position, that they have worked it out, that they have all the confidence that they need to succeed. And that's BS. As I talked about a few minutes earlier, at the highest level, the most successful individual suffers from the imposter syndrome all the time, where they say, am I good enough and smart enough to do the job that I need to do? And it comes as a shock because we don't think that the leaders that, have, that are successful have this syndrome within themselves, and they do. All of them do. In my research, 99% of highly successful individuals suffer from it. And that was a little shocking when I first started out, but it's something that I've come to expect. So when someone leans in and says, Lolly, I have to tell you something, I don't feel as confident to do this job. Um, I go, don't worry, you're just like everybody else. 
This is the problem with social media. We always compare to everyone else's best and we compare to our average. So I'm so happy you brought that up because one of the inner drivers in my research showed is that if it comes from comparing ourselves to others, the minute you start comparing yourselves to others, you're never going to match up to anybody else. You know, there's always going to be somebody smarter and better than we are. And if we keep doing that, we will manifest the imposter syndrome more and more and more. And so we have to be mindful to stop looking at what everybody else is doing and keep asking yourself, not the why question, but the who question. So is, a, is social media a finite and self-terminating game then? No, I think social media, you know, is there's for everything that's out there that you can use it for good, you can use it for bad. I hope that my social media is all about bringing value every single day. You'll never find out what I had for lunch. You won't find out what I did on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. What you will have is every single tweet, every single article is to serve those that, you know, need it. And if you do that, and if you keep that who you are in place, then I think you can succeed. So I'm not a big, everything is bad. I'm a big believer that we still have a group of people that are doing the right thing, including you, Matt. Do you think that most people can do the right thing, though? If you look at the stats, you look at the research, being on Facebook increases your your rate of depression, increases your rate of pretty much everything that sucks. And it's, it's, it's primarily due to being on Facebook, not spending time with friends and family, and then comparing yourself to others and having to be perfect. It's all of that stress. Yes. Leads to depression. Yes. So the thing is, is that I always think of our lives as a work in progress. So if we think at certain times of our lives, you know, Facebook is where we need to be. Hopefully, if we're not getting what we want from it, we take ourselves off or we go on there less. I have grown children. One of my children just said, I think I'm going to delete my whole Facebook. It doesn't serve me. And I said, good. And that what I know now is, you know, this adult child is moving on to the next level. And so the thing is, we have things in our life that serve us for a while, and they're not giving you the return of what you need or want. It's time to move on. It's time to look for something else. Use it for the good. And if it doesn't serve, try to find something else that will. How often do you do these spot checks? Because if you're doing that too often, you'll go nuts. Is it a good idea to brush my teeth today? Well, I probably could skip it till tomorrow. Some decisions you need to automate. And sometimes you need to have horse blinders on until you come up and look around. You know, that's a great question, Matt. Again, brilliant thought. The thing about that is, is that your inner barometer of how you are and how you feel is very important to look. My company's called Lead From Within for a reason, because I'm a big believer that if we go inward, which everybody should be doing on a constant basis, I hope you're brushing your teeth every day and even twice a day. That's how often you should look inward. You should take the temperature of how happy you are or what you need. If you're dissatisfied, do something about it, not next week, but today. What can you do something different? So how often should you check in? I think twice a day is good, as often as you're brushing. Maybe some people brush three times a day after every meal. Check in at those times too. It's like breathing. Most of us forget sometimes to breathe, and so we get all stressed out, and we can't be creative, and our minds get fogged up. Breathe, brush your teeth and go inward. How's that for a process? I think it's good, but I, I want to play devil's advocate. If you think about it too much, you can get shiny object syndrome. You can you can struggle to achieve goals because, well, today I want this and tomorrow I want that. And to, the day after I realized, shoot, I actually should have stuck with the first goal because that's really what I wanted. Right. So suffering from the shiny object syndrome is, I see that a lot. It's like, I want that because it looks sexy. It looks exciting. That's not what inner work is about. Inner work is not shiny and it's not sexy. It's hard. That's why most people don't want to do it. The looking inward comes with struggle. It comes with strife. It comes with making us feel uncomfortable. It comes with the hard questions. Anything that's quick fix is not what I'm talking about. Anything is like, oh, uh, I want that to make me feel good today, but there's no longevity in it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that's more sustainable. So we shouldn't title this podcast the 10 30 second secrets to happiness or anything like that. We'll, uh, we'll make it a little bit rougher. What technologies outside of AI are you most excited about and why? That's a great question. I'm obsessed with AI these days only because every single one of my clients is really, I wouldn't say worried, but is curious and inquisitive of how it's going to affect their business and which jobs will be lost and which jobs will they need. Uh, and it's interesting because I just spoke at a college and they were like, what should we be grooming? What courses should we be adding? What, what should we be teaching now that things are moving in a different direction? 
So I'm kind of a little, not obsessed, but I'm mostly thinking about AI right now because I teach leadership all the time and talk about leadership all the time. And there's this dichotomy between AI and human behavior and the robots, robotics and humanity. And what's going to happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now? And, you know, in time for my grandchildren, well, are they going to have a robot as a play date? It's like, I'm, that's what I'm really thinking about most of the time. It's a bit like an event horizon. You can kind of guess what comes next, but it's so almost random that it's such a big change. You can't really even try to, to accurately predict the future. It seems like a black hole a little bit right now. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I feel like I'm riding the wave. I have been riding it. People would talk about AI a couple of years ago, but now it's really on top of mind. And so robotics, AI, all the algorithms about um, my son owns three data companies and he works with algorithm all the time. And he's able to predict things that we weren't able to do a couple of years ago, even 10 years ago. And so I just watch it as riding the wave and ask the right questions or even stupid questions just to find out how things work and which direction it will take us. And then this is most important. One of the human, human skills that we will need in the future is to be agile and to be adaptable, that to be open to whatever comes along, to really pursue that with an open mind, open heart, because we don't know what we're in for. Is there a way to teach that? Yes. So anybody that's out, you know, most individuals that are control freaks <laughs> are going to have a very hard time. You know, the type A, I need to know everything and I need to know it now. And that's why breath work, mindfulness, letting go, going inward really opens up your mind to something new, to questions that you didn't ask before. Now, I know maybe to individuals like engineers, in innovators, disruptors, they don't want to hear about mindfulness or looking inward right now. They want to know, you know, Lolly, give me the process of what we need in order to succeed. But it doesn't work that way. I've never seen it work that way. We must become more mindful, more in, in intentional about who we are as human beings to take on this next wave, the next wave of technology and innovation. You can't be productive and, and be creative and mindful at the same time. It just doesn't work. It's something that is inherently unproductive. It might be helpful. It might make the future more productive, but it has to be inherently unproductive at the time. Otherwise, you're probably not doing it right. I would love to see more mild, mild, mindfulness out there in the world. I think it's definitely growing because of kind of the Silicon Valley tech trend, especially California, trying to figure out a bit more what people want, trying to be a bit better when it comes to lifestyle. And then with uh, the millennial movement of screw working 60 hours for a shitty job where I'm probably going to get fired in two years, I, uh, I'll do my own hours. So you kind of see some of these things happening, but I think we're still a long ways off. Right. If you, so if you want to add another subject to school, mindfulness would be wonderful. It would be wonderful. Imagine telling the teacher, sorry, we're going to replace, we're going to replace your English class. I think English, we could probably get rid of a lot of English classes because you really learn how to, to read, talk and write. That stuff should be happening. It's, I think writing essays is pretty, it's pretty low value in my opinion. Write blog posts, write something meaningful. We should still read and we should still talk yeah. about literature. And we should still ask ourselves the difficult questions because we learn from others. I think so as well when it's not mandatory. I think when it's mandatory and schools say, okay, you're going to read Brave New Worlds. You're going to read To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't think kids get as much out of it as they could because they don't want to do it. <laughs> I think that's a big part of learning, actually. You got to get kids to want to do it. Yeah, but also there are many kids that don't want to do it. And then then you the, the writer is born when they read To Kill a Mockingbird. So let's not cross it all out and throw it out, the baby with the bathwater. I think sometimes, I know for me, reading a book, um, it just, it opens up a whole new world. And it happened for me in school. Yeah, and that's uh, it's the best feeling. How do you think about this new era of rapidly accelerating exponential technology and old and pudgy leaders that haven't died yet and have to somehow adapt to it? <laughs> the old pudgy leaders are having a hard time adapting. Remember I said ad uh, being agile and adaptive are very, very important. But even the smurgudgeons or whatever they are, I know them very well. They're curious enough to say, what is it and what does it mean for my business and what does it mean for my company? Even though they, they're they a little bit slower on the uptake, it, I'm going to say something, so I'll just bring it back. I mean, this has nothing to do with your audience. They're much too young. But back when, when we had TV and everything was just radio, everything was just a radio. 
Then they create a TV. Then they create a color TV. It was like these fast accelerations in technology. And many people were so like, I am not going to get a TV. I'm only going to listen to my radio. I mean, I have a neighbor who's like 99 years old. She doesn't have a TV. She's still listening to her transistor radio. And so I feel like those, the leaders that are still holding on to their radio really need to buy their color TV because there is something there for us to gain and to learn. And I think they have to get over being schmagudgeon and pudgy, whatever you call them. I know them very well and I work with them. That's yeah, a, it's a tough dynamic, especially as we should inevitably be living longer and longer. It's, it's tough if you have to deal with more and more conservative leaders. But the bottom line is you can't be competitive if you don't become agile and adaptive. So if you want to be com- competitive out in the market, then you have to keep up with the times. I would agree in enterprise. I'm not sure I would agree in government. A government is okay. We can talk about both of them in the same subject because they, it's two different realms. Yeah, it's much, it's much easier to play slow ball. Yeah, business. Um, do we need more business leaders in government? That's, there's a question. You know what I really want to see in government right now? True, thoughtful leadership. That's what I would really like to see. I think we definitely got the right guy in there, right? He's very mindful. But, uh, all the joking aside, um, what, uh, what scares you these days? What technology are you most worried about? Is there anything that's really piqued your, piqued your fear setting, so to speak? Not so much about technology as much as humanity scares me sometimes, which, Someone said to me over dinner the other night, if you read history, you shouldn't be scared, Lolly. And so I think that if technology accelerates, I think we're going to need the right human beings to make decisions. So I'm more worried about humanity than I'm worried about technology. What do you think about for psychedelics and mindfulness and creating a better sense of one with the world? So that sounds like heaven on earth, if we can create more unity and if we can create a society, we all look out for each other, but we're a long way off from that because even, you know, United States is about, you know, capitalism. It's about making money. It's about that 1%. And I think we're a long way off, but we do need the leaders, the individuals. Maybe Matt, maybe you can become one of those individuals. You're very smart. You're very attuned. You want to like, you want to create new kinds of schools. You have ideas. We need leaders that will step up and step out and create something new from the right platform. I really believe that's what we need moving forward. I think you can do it in business. I think government just corrupts absolutely. When you have to play in the dirt, you get dirty. That that's the scary part for I think the that's the scary part I think for the the decent folk. Yes. Well, I uh, somebody I work in I'm in Washington a lot and someone said to me, "If you want it, Lolly, if you want to keep your pure mind, get out of Washington. If you want to you want to have principles, get out of Washington." And well, interestingly enough, I used to idolize the whole idea of being this perfect politician and, you know, having a meaning and having a purpose. But the thing is, I read a lot of biographies about our presidents and they struggled and they did things that weren't always on the up and up. Even, even the ones that we admire, even the ones we still talk about today as the great leaders. If you read their biographies, there was enormous amount of struggles and undermining and pushing agendas. So, I mean, they're human, but to what extent and when do we say stop and when do we say enough is enough? And how much it is it is just transparency now that we see things that have always been happening that we didn't realize were happening? Just read a biography. It's all in there. It is, but only what gets included. So, like, most kids learn history. Helen Keller was a hardcore communist. You don't learn that in U.S. history. You just learn that she was a hero that was blind and deaf. And that's a, uh, we, we whitewash things. Right. That's what I was talking about earlier. Exactly. That's why we have to read, not the history books that have been written, but open up a book and do more research and read the books that aren't as popular. Read, 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 find out as much as you can become the most inquisitive person you can be. How do you feel about audiobooks and podcasts? Well, your podcast is a great podcast. <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't for a plug, just curious in general. I think any way that you can get information that is insightful, that is different, that makes you think, inspires you and motivates you, I'm all for it. I don't care if you read a book, you listen to a podcast, it's an audio book. If you do something, you get off your couch and do something that is a little bit different, I'm all for it. If you were the 18-year-old version of yourself today, what would you do? What path would you go forth on? It's a great question. See, when I was 18, I didn't think I could be anything. So, and then I took a chance, right? Uh, Interestingly enough, 
the way I started my business is not because I had the confidence in myself. The reason was is that I was running a workshop on mindfulness way back when, and an individual came over and said, Lolly, I like your spirit. I like the way you think. I can use you in my business. We don't have enough of that. And I was like, what do you need me for? And that, that, I didn't say that out loud. I said it quietly to myself. I said, why do you need me? I don't, I don't even like what you do. I don't even feel that you change the world in the way I want to change the world. Because at 18, I wanted to make an impact, but I didn't know how. And um, he said, Lolly, join me. We need your energy. And I was like, you know what? I'll do it. And at the time, I had no clue what to do, Matt. I really didn't know what I was getting into. And then I said to myself, you better get smart, Lolly. I took myself back to school and studied psychology and philosophy and business and you know, culture, all the things that I felt I needed. And I'm still enrolling in classes today. I just enrolled in um, a school here in New York called the Practical School of Philosophy. Why? Because I feel we need philosophy now more than anything else in business. So I am still doing what I did at 18. So my 18, I think I would be doing the same thing because I love what I do. I feel like I play and make an impact every single day. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'd be doing the same thing. How, do you, how should people balance theory and practice? Because if you do just continuously learn without executing, then in some sense, it's like building a time machine you don't tell people about. Absolutely. So we talked about it earlier today, and that's the going inward. So every single day, I learn something new, a new theory, a new system. I learned something new. I took a course and it taught me you know, how to live through dying. It was about Socrates, right? What did I learn is that we have to, what do we have to do about our lives? Then I did, then you have to take the time to think. You have to go inward and process everything that you've learned. And you have to ask yourself, how can I incorporate that into my life to give myself more enrichment, to give myself more enlightenment, to give myself something that I didn't have before? Most people don't take the time to go inward. And I, I believe it's a game changer. I think reality is a bit like a fractal. You can go continuously inward and continuously outward and constantly discover new things. It kind of it kind of lends credence to the simulation theory for me, but that's a that's a whole nother another whole arms. subject. But I think of it as a dance. If you're so much outward, then I think then you're parched on the inward, and so and if you're too much inward, then you're not experiencing the outward. So I think it's very important to have this inside and outside, and to really have a dance between the two of them. Balance, dynamic equilibrium. I think that's a good way to uh, start to wrap things up, Lolly. If you had to leave people with one thing, a quote, a call to action, preferably something we haven't said yet, what would it be and why? So for those, I want to say two things. So for those who feel I'm not as creative or innovative or on top of it the way I need to be or successful the the way I need to be, I'm a big believer that many people believe that greatness is just for a selected few. I'm here to tell you that's untrue. That greatness and success and all that you really want for yourself is really there for the taking. You can have it if you really want it. You just have to believe it. And it's not woo-woo. I've seen game changes when somebody starts to believe in themselves. And number two is, is that this is a very important topic that I we haven't talked about, but I think it's important. And I learned this from Carl Gustav Jung. He said, what you don't own, owns you. And so if you think about yourself in the world, what you haven't come to terms with, what you're not taking ownership of, is really leading you down a path that you might not want to in life. So rethink who you are and who you need to be. So what you don't own, owns you. And if you want to know more about that, read my book called The Leadership Gap, really dives into that. And I think it's very important for those that are creative and innovative and doing great things in the world. I could agree with that. And what's the website and Twitter? It's Lolly Daskal on Twitter. It's twitter.com, Lolly Daskal. My website is lollydaskal.com. Works really well when you've got a unique name. Matt Ward is not the easiest way to go for that one. But it's a good name. It's a smart name. I, I picked it out myself. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on today, Lolly. This has been a lot of fun. Hope you guys have enjoyed this. I know it's a little bit less conventional for what we talk about, but I think that's the whole point of the disruptors is to make you a little bit less conventional because if you're average, you're boring. And if you're extremely unique, then you're probably creating interesting stuff in the world. Thanks for coming today, Lolly. Thank you so much. 
If you want more of The Disruptors, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to disruptors.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interview stories with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. You can also follow me on Twitter at MattWardIO. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review on iTunes at disruptors.fm slash iTunes to help more people discover the podcast and help us make a bigger impact.